Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the highlight of the year for book lovers everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times Cheltenham Literature Festival is upon us again. There's a particular alchemy that comes from bringing together so many remarkable people in an atmosphere that fizzes with potential. And every year, the festival throws up moments that will be remembered forever. Today, we're bringing you one of them. This is a recording from the festival back in 2014. It's one of the most memorable moments in the festival's history as husband and wife, Damien Lewis and Helen McCrory, two of the greatest actors of their generation, exchanged some of the most enduring love poems ever written, from a collection put together by Ali Essary, titled The Love Book. We thought this event had been lost forever, but earlier this summer, Damien Lewis rediscovered the recording that you're about to hear, and he's allowed us to share it in tribute to his wife, Helen McCrory who died in April at the age of 52. It is now my great pleasure to welcome to the stage Damien Lewis and Helen McCrory. So the sequence this afternoon begins with courtship. And I will begin by reading a piece from Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. They said I was too old to read this, but I feel that the scenes at the back, the seats at the back will get it. The front, you're going to have to use your imagination. (laughs) Give me my Romeo. And when I shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars and he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with the night and pay no worship to the garish sun. Oh, I have bought the mansion of a love but not possessed it. And though I am sold, not yet enjoyed... So tedious is this day, as is the night before some festival to an impatient child that hath new robes and may not wear them. Here comes my nurse, and she brings news, and every tongue that speaks but Romeo's name speaks heavenly eloquence. Love's Philosophy by Percy Bysshe Shelley. The fountains mingle with the river, and the river's with the ocean. The winds of heaven mix forever with a sweet emotion. Nothing in the world is single. All things by a law divine in another's being mingle. Why not I with thine? See the mountains kiss high heaven and the waves clasp one another. 
No sister flower would be forgiven if it disdained its brother. And the sunlight clasps the earth, and the moonbeams kiss the sea. What is all this sweet work worth if thou kiss not me? Mother, I cannot mind my will. Mother, I cannot mind my will. My fingers ache. My lips are dry. Oh, if you felt the pain I feel. But oh, who ever felt as I? I've never knowingly turned down a clap, but let's do it at the end. Yeah, we don't want to clap off. Very nice. There could be arguments in the car to London afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) To his coy mistress, Andrew Marvell. Had we but world enough and time, this coyness, lady, were no crime. We would sit down and think which way to walk and pass our long love's day. Thou by the Indian Ganges side shouldst rubies find. I by the tide of Humber would complain. I would love you ten years before the flood. And you should, if you please, refuse till the conversion of the Jews. My vegetable love should grow vaster than empires and more slow. And hundred years should go to praise thine eyes. And on thy forehead gaze. Two hundred to adore each breast. But thirty thousand to the rest. An age at least to every part. And the last age should show your heart. For lady, you deserve this state. Nor would I love at lower rate. But at my back, I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near. And yonder all before us lie vast deserts of eternity. Thy beauty shall no more be found, nor in thy marble vault shall sound my echoing song. Then worms shall try that long-preserved virginity, and your quaint honour turn to dust, and into ashes all my lust. The grave's a fine and private place, but none, I think, do there embrace. Now, therefore... While the youthful hue sits on thy skin like morning dew, and while thy willing soul transpires at every pore with instant fires, now let us sport while we may, and now, like amorous birds of prey, rather at once our time devour than languish in this slow-chapped power. Let us roll all our strength and all our sweetness up into one ball and tear our pleasures with rough strife through the iron gates of life. Thus, though we cannot make our son stand still, yet we will make him run. Coupling by Fleur Adcock On the wall above the bedside lamp, A large crane fly is jump-starting a smaller crane fly, or vice versa. They do it tail to tail, like Volkswagens. 
engines must be in their rears. It looks easy enough. Let's try it. <laughs> These next two poems, they describe a first night together, but very contrasting ways. There's a bawdy, humorous, really quite matter-of-fact poem by Cummings, and that gives way to the Tennyson, which is much more suggestive, but in a lyrical, metaphorical manner, dwelling on uh, images of openness and unfolding. May I feel, said he, by E.E. E. Cummings. May I feel, said he. I'll squeal, said she. <laughs> Just once, said he. Oh, it's fun, said she. <laughs> May I touch, said he. How much, said she. <laughs> A lot, said he. <laughs> Why not, said she. Let's go, said he. Not too far, said she. What's too far, said he. Where you are, said she. <laughs> May I stay, said he. Which way, said she. Like this, said he. If you kiss, said she. May I move, said he. Is it love, said she. If you're willing, said he. But you're killing, said she. But it's life, said he. But your wife, said she. <laughs> Now, said he. Ow, said she. Tip top, said he. Don't stop, said she. Oh no, said he. Go slow, said she. Come, said he. Hum. <laughs> said she. You're divine, said he. You are mine, said she. From the princess. They only managed it once. Keep up. <laughs> By uh, Lord Tennyson. Now sleeps the crimson petal, now the white, nor waves the cypress in the palace walk, nor winks the goldfin in the poffrey font. The firefly wakens, waken thou with me. Now droops the milk-white peacock like a ghost, and like a ghost she glimmers onto me. Now lies the earth all Danai to the stars, and all thy heart lies open unto me. Now slides the silent meteor on, and leaves a shining furrow as thy thoughts in me. Now folds the lily all her sweetness up and slips into the bosom of the lake. So fold thyself, my dearest, thou, and slip into my bosom and be lost in me. The two following poems are responses to spending the night together, both remember the night in distinctly different ways. For the speaker of Petronius, the night is utter ecstasy, the experience of pleasure so powerful that he places its worth as greater than that of life itself. The speaker of Williams dwells on the post-coital chat rather than on the act itself. Good God, what a night that was by Petronius. Good God, what a night that was. The bed so soft, And how we clung, burning together, lying this way and that, our uncontrollable passions flowing through our mouths. 
If I could only die that way, I'd say goodbye to the business of living. Life story. Tennessee Williams. Anyone from the southern states of America or has ever heard an American accent, an apology comes. <laughs> but if you can't have fun at a literary festival, when can you enjoy yourself? <laughs> Sandra. Life story. After you've been together for the first time with the advantage or disadvantage of any prior acquaintance, the other party very often says to you, tell me about yourself. I want to know all about you. What's the story? And you think maybe they really and truly do sincerely want to know your life story. And so you light up a cigarette and you begin to tell it to them. The two of you land together in a completely relaxed position like a pair of rag dolls, a bored child dropped on the bed. And you tell them your story or as much of your story as Tam or a fair degree of prudence allows, and they say, oh, 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 each time a little more faintly until the oh is just an audible breath. And then, of course, this interruption, slow room service comes up with a bowl of melting ice cubes, or one of you rise to pee and gaze himself with mild astonishment in the bathroom mirror. And then the first thing you know before you've had time to pick up where you left off with your enthralling life story, they're telling you their life story exactly as they intended to all along. And you're saying, oh, 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 a little time, each time a little more faintly, the vowel at last becoming no more than an audible sigh as the elevator halfway down the corridor and a turn to the left draws one last Long, deep breath of exhaustion and stops breathing forever. Then, well, one of you falls asleep and the other one does likewise with a lighted cigarette in his mouth. And that is how people burn to death in hotel rooms. <laughs> Right, that's one spontaneous eruption of applause to you, none to me. <laughs> God, I hate the M4. <laughs> right, in the next two poems, this is really about the beginning of the excitement and the, just the wonder of the beginning of, of a relationship. Celia, Celia by Adrian Mitchell. When I am sad and weary, when I think all hope has gone, when I walk along High Hoban, I think of you with nothing on. <laughs> Yay! Good, you're listening. Good, good. I can always sleep, he's driving. Right. <laughs> Conviction by Stevie Smith. I like to get off with people. 
I like to lie in their arms. I like to be held and lightly kissed, safe from all alarms. I like to laugh and be happy with a beautiful kiss. I tell you, in all the world, there's no bliss like this. The next two poems use the simile of the rose. In the Burns is later disparaged by Dorothy Parker's one perfect rose. The speaker of the Parker introduces a note of bitterness. The symbols of romantic love are all very well, but something of the material worth would be far more welcome. The speaker of Yeats, which follows, responds, if he could, he would supply the most lavish gifts, heavens, embroidered cloths, yet as a poor man he can only give his dreams. He requests that she tread softly. This is with an apology to my father-in-law, who is actually sitting in the audience. I should uh, say he's Scottish before, <laughs> yes. rather than a florist. <laughs> yeah. Yes, who is Scottish, yes. <laughs> Ian, would you like to stand up so everyone can stare at me? <laughs> a red, red mm-hmm. rose. Rabbi Burns. My love is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June. My love is like the melody that's sweetly played in tune. As fair art thou, my bonny lass, so deep in love am I, and I will love thee still, my dear, till other seas gang dry. Till other seas gang dry, my dear, and the rocks melt with the sun. And I will love thee still, my dear, when the sands of life shall run. And fare thee wheel, my only love, and fare thee wheel a while. And I will come again, my love, though it were ten thousand mile. One Perfect Rose by Dorothy Parker A single flower he sent me since we met, all tenderly his messenger he chose, deep-hearted, pure, with scented dew still wet, one perfect rose. I know the language of the floweret, my fragile leaves, it said, his heart enclosed, love long has taken for his roulette, one perfect rose. Why is it no one ever sent me yet? One perfect limousine, do you suppose? Ah, no, it's always just my luck to get one perfect rose. He wishes for the cloths of heaven by Yeats. Had I the heavens embroidered cloths, inwrought with golden and silver light, the blue and the dim and the dark cloths of night and light and the half-light, I would spread the cloths under your feet. But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams. It is here by Harold Pinter. What sound was that? I turn away into the shaking room. What sound was that that came in on the dark? 
What is this maze of light it leaves us in? What is this stance we take to turn away and then turn back? What did we hear? It was the breath we took when we first met. Listen, it is here. Valentine by John Fuller. The things about you I appreciate may seem indelicate. I'd like to find you in the shower and chase the soap for half an hour. (laughs) I'd like to have you in my power and see your eyes dilate. I'd like to have your back to scour and other parts to lubricate. Sometimes I feel it is my fate to chase you screaming up a tower or make you cower by asking you to differentiate Nietzsche from Schopenhauer. I'd like successfully to guess your weight and win you at a fate. I'd like to offer you a flower. I like the hair upon your shoulders falling like water over boulders. I like the shoulders too. They are essential. Your collarbones have great potential. I'd like your particulars in folders marked confidential. (laughs) I like your cheeks. I like your nose. I like the way your lips disclose the neat arrangement of your teeth, half above and half beneath, in rows. (laughs) I like your eyes. I like their fringes. The way they focus on me gives me twinges. Your upper arms drive me berserk. I like the way your elbows work. (laughs) On hinges. (laughs) I like your wrists. I like your glands. I like the fingers on your hands. I'd like to teach them how to count. And certain things we might exchange. Something familiar for something strange. I'd like to give you just the right amount and get some change. I like it when you tilt your cheek up. I like the way you nod and hold a teacup. I like your legs when you unwind them. Even in trousers, I don't mind them. I like each softly moulded kneecap. I like the little crease behind them. I'd always know without a recap where to find them. I like the sculpture of your ears. I like the way your profile disappears whenever you decide to turn and face me. I'd like to cross two hemispheres and have you chase me. I'd like to smuggle you across frontiers or sail with you at night into Tangiers. I'd like you to embrace me. I'd like to see you ironing your skirt and cancelling other dates. I'd like to button up your shirt. I like the way your chest inflates. I'd like to soothe you when you're hurt or frightened senseless by invertebrates. I'd like you even if you were malign and had a yen for sudden homicide. I'd let you put insecticide into my wine. I'd even like you if you were the bride of Frankenstein or something ghoulish out of Mamoulian's Jekyll and Hyde. I'd even like you as my Julian of Norwich or Kathleen Nihulian. How melodramatic if you were something muttering in attics like Mrs. Rochester or a student of Boolean mathematics. (laughs) 
You are the end of self-abuse. You are the eternal feminine. I'd like to find a good excuse to call on you and find you in. I'd like to put my hand beneath your chin and see you grin. I'd like to taste your Charlotte Russe. I'd like to feel my lips upon your skin. I'd like to make you reproduce. I'd like you in my confidence. I'd like to be your second look. I'd like to let you try the French defence and mate you with my rook. I'd like to be your preference. And hence, I'd like to be around when you unhook. I'd like to be your only audience. The final name in your appointment book. Your future tense. The next few poems mark a shift of time into the middle of a marriage existence, describing the security of the relationship which is built over time. The Duffy introduces a note of sadness and distance while retaining the sense of strong love, and yet there is perhaps the sense of that distance between two people is in some way unbridgeable. The Cummings dismisses this with the most intimate images of heart, Hearts enfolding one another, supporting and carrying. Scaffolding, Seamus Heaney. Masons, when they start upon a building, are careful to test out the scaffolding. Make sure that planks won't slip at busy points. Secure all ladders. Tighten bolted joints. And yet all this comes down when the job's done, showing off walls of sure and solid stone. So if, my dear, there sometimes seems to be old bridges breaking between you and me, never fear. We may let the scaffolds fall, confident that we have built our wall. Words Wide Night by Caroline Duffy. Somewhere on the other side of this wide night and the distance between us, I am thinking of you. The room is turning slowly away from the moon. This is pleasurable. Or shall I cross that out and say, it is sad? In one of the tenses, I singing an impossible song of desire that you cannot hear. La, 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 see, I close my eyes and imagine the dark hills I would have to cross to reach you. For I am in love with you. And this is what it's like, or what it's like in words. I carry your heart with me, E. Cummings. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing. My darling, I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are my world, 
my true. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud and the sky of the sky of a tree called life which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. Sonnet 43 by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. When feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need. By sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use in my old griefs. And with my childhood's faith, I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Sonnet 130, William Shakespeare. My mistress' eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes there is more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet, by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. Let me put it this way, Simon Armitage. Let me put it this way. If you came to lie your sleeping head against my arm or sleeve, and if my arm went dead, or if I had to take my leave at midnight... I should rather cleave it from the joint or seam than make a scene or bring you round. There. How does that sound? <laughs> Keats' love sonnet also contains the possibility of betrayal now, addressed to a star which retains its place in the heavens forever constant. The speaker expresses his desire to be similarly similarly Simmer. What is it? Help 
Similarly. 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 Constant. Similarly. <laughs> and faithful. <clears throat> it's easy for you to say. <laughs> Bright star, would I were steadfast as thou art. Keats. Bright star, would I were steadfast as thou art. Not in lone splendour, hung aloft the night, and watching with eternal lids apart, like nature's patient, sleepless eremite, the moving waters at their priest-like task of pure ablution round earth's human shores, or gazing on the new soft-fallen mask of snow upon the mountains and the moors. No, yet still steadfast, still unchangeable, pillowed upon my fair love's ripening breast, to feel forever its soft swell and wake forever in a sweet unrest, still, still to hear her tender taken breath, and so live ever, or else swoon to death. These following two poems, they introduce the decline of a relationship. They both relate the same situation. It's about being in bed. One is a good experience, and one (laughs) is less good. Close, Close All Night by Elizabeth Bishop. Close, close all night the lovers keep. They turn together in their sleep. Close as two pages in a book that read each other in the dark. Each knows all the other knows, learned by heart from head to toes. Talking in bed, Philip Larkin. Talking in bed ought to to be easiest. Lying together there goes back so far, an emblem of two people being honest. Yet more and more time passes silently. Outside the wind's incomplete unrest builds and disperses clouds about the sky and dark towns heap up on the horizon. None of this cares for us. Nothing shows why, at this unique distance from isolation, it becomes still more difficult to find words at once true and kind, or not untrue and not unkind. Mrs. Icarus by Carol Ann Duffy I am not the first or last to stand on a hillock. Watching the man she married prove to the world he is a total, utter, absolute, grade A pillock. (laughs) The lady made the choices. At least you resisted saying a poem directly at me. Right. Animals, Frank (laughs) O'Hara. A 
Have you forgotten what we were like then? When we were still first rate. And the day came fat with an apple in its mouth. It's no use worrying about time. But we did have a few tricks up our sleeves. And turned some sharp corners. The whole pasture looked like our meal. We didn't need speedometers. We could manage cocktails out of ice and water. I wouldn't want to be faster or greener than now if you were with me. Oh, you were the best of all my days. Within the night, a sense of bitterness is more intense, resulting in a visceral desire to bite. Morgan's one cigarette deals with immediate aftermath of being left. The following poems deal with the continued aftermath, dealing with the death of love. Stevie Smith's In the Night. I longed for companionship, rather. But my companions I always wished farther. And now in the desolate night, I think only of the people I should like to bite. One cigarette, Edwin Morgan. No smoke without you, my fire. After you left, your cigarette glowed on in my ashtray and sent up a long thread of such quiet grey I smiled to wonder who would believe its signal of so much love. One cigarette in the non-smoker's tray. As the last spire trembles up, a sudden draught blows it winding into my face. Is it smell? Is it taste? You are here again. And I am drunk on your tobacco lips. Out with the light. Let the smoke lie back in the dark. Till I hear the very ash sigh down among the flowers of brass. I'll breathe. And long past midnight, your last kiss. I know what my heart is like since your love died. It is like a hollow ledge holding a little pool left there by the tide. A little tepid pool drying inward from the edge. So we'll go no more a-roving, Lord Byron. So we'll go no more a-roving. So late into the night. Though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword outwears its sheath and the soul wears out the breast. And the heart must pause to breathe and love itself have rest. Though the night was made for loving... And the day returns too soon, yet will go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. The poems after this point become occupied with remembering the beauty of love. 
Pain is still present in the Yeats, but though so is the memory of something beautiful. And this sequence closes with Larkin's beautiful lines about the immortality of love. When you are old, Yeats. When you are old and grey and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. An Arundel tomb, Philip Larkin. Side by side, their faces blurred, the earl and countess lie in stone. Their proper habits, vaguely shown as jointed armour, stiffened pleat, and that faint hint of the absurd, the little dogs under their feet. Such plainness of the pre-Baroque hardly involves the eye, until it meets his left-hand gauntlet, still clasped empty in the other. And one sees with a sharp, tender shock, his hand withdrawn, holding her hand. They would not think to lie so long. Such faithfulness in effigy was just a detail friends would see, a sculptor's sweet commissioned grace thrown off in helping to prolong the Latin names around the base. They would not guess how early in their supine stationary voyage the air would change to soundless damage, turn the old tenantry away, how soon succeeding eyes begin to look, not read, Rigidly they persisted, linked through lengths and breadths of time. Snow fell undated, light each summer thronged the glass. A bright litter of bird calls stewed the same bone-riddled ground, and up the paths the endless altered people came, washing at their identity. Now, helpless in the hollow of an unarmorial age, a trough of smoke in slow suspended skeins above their scrap of history, only an attitude remains. Time has transfigured them into untruth. The stone fidelity they hardly meant has come to be their final blazon and to prove our almost instinct, almost true. What will survive of us is love. And our final poem is Sonnet 55, Shakespeare's. 
not marble, nor the gilded monuments of princes shall outlive this powerful rhyme. But you shall shine more bright in these contents than unswept stone besmeared with sluttish time. When wasteful war shall statues overturn and broils root out that work of masonry, nor mars his sword, nor war's quick fire shall burn the living record of your memory. Against death and all oblivious enmity shall you pace forth. Your praise shall still find room, even in the eyes of all posterity that wear this world out to the ending doom. So, till the judgment that yourself arise, you live in this and dwell in lovers' eyes. The end. <laughs> We'd like to thank um, the school children who have given us these flowers, and we hope we haven't put you off poetry. Bye <laughs> bye. Bye bye. That was a special recording of a live event at the Cheltenham Literature Festival back in 2014, when the actors Damien Lewis and his late wife Helen McCrory read poems and lit up the stage. We'd like to thank Damien for making that recording available to us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with Stories of Our Times. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.